to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 6, as we follow along with today's lesson. You can have immediate fulfillment through compromise. Bow down and worship me and I'll give it to you. That way you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to take God's way. And how Satan comes to us and Jesus, it says, was in all points tempted like as we are, that he might be the great high priest able to help us in our temptation. And that temptation to try to shortcut and to find fulfillment apart from the cross. Jesus said, if you say to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And it is necessary for us to come to that cross in our own lives where we reckon our old life governed by the flesh to be dead, that we might now live a new life after the Spirit. And you can't have real fulfillment apart from the cross. But Satan is offering all of these substitutes. He's saying, look, you can have immediate fulfillment now. It's in this little relationship over here, or it's in the bottle over here, or it's in this, or it's in that. And and people are deceived by Satan and are being succumbed to the temptation of trying to find immediate gratification and fulfillment without the cross, without denying self. And people are being destroyed. But Jesus answered Satan and he said in verse 8 get thee behind me Satan for it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve again quoting from Deuteronomy this time chapter 6 Notice Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. We find him saying that one other time, and that is when he had revealed to his disciples after they had recognized you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus began to share with them how he was going to be turned over to the Gentiles. He was going to be crucified and slain. And Peter said, be that far from thee, Lord. Peter is saying, no cross, spare yourself. 
And Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. The suggestion that we try to evade the cross is a satanic suggestion. And Satan is saying to Jesus, no cross. It's not necessary for fulfillment. Now, notice Satan said, just bow down and worship me. But Jesus acknowledged that in worshiping, it involved serving. You cannot really worship without serving. And so Jesus, in his answer, said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and he finished it, and him only shalt thou serve. Worship involves serving. So he brought him to Jerusalem. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said unto him, If you are the Son of God, again, since you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So Jesus has been saying it is written, and he's been quoting the scripture, and so Satan comes back to him now with scripture, but scripture out of context out of the context of the whole message. Satan is a master of quoting scripture out of context. There is a passage of scripture where God promises to give his angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways, to bear us up lest at any time we dash our foot against a stone. God's promise of protection for his people. And yet, Satan is saying, do something that is spectacular. Draw attention with the sensational. Imagine what people will think when you jump off of here some 450 feet to the bottom there and you're not hurt. Think of the attention. It'll give you immediate attention. A crowd will gather. Your fame will spread. Able to t leap a tall building with a single bound. <laughs> and Jesus answering again in the scripture, once more from Deuteronomy chapter 6, said unto him, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is said, thou shalt not tempt. And that is, you're not to put yourself in deliberate jeopardy to prove the scriptures. You're not to test God. It isn't something that you go out and test things. And the ministry is not to draw people by spectacularism, and that is a temptation that many people succumb to today. They try to attract to the ministry through sensationalism, through spectacularism. And Jesus rejected that temptation. And when the devil had ended all of the temptation, 
He departed from him, notice, for a season. He'll come back, but he's gone for the present. So then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And we have just seen the power of the Spirit manifested. And one thing I should point out, in each of the temptations, Jesus answered with quotations out of the book of Deuteronomy. It seems that that was one of his favorite Old Testament books. And David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against thee. The greatest power that we have in the time of temptation is the word of God. David said, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel with the ungodly, nor stand in the way with sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He's referring to the Pentateuch, the first five books. Deuteronomy. Jesus evidently delighted in the law of the Lord, and in this law he meditates day and night. And Jesus used the word to respond to and answer the temptations. I think that much of the weakness of the Christian church today is because of the lack of the word of God in the hearts of the people. There are a lot of people that are going for sensationalism, but there isn't real depth and they are not equipped to handle the temptations of Satan. They may boast of all kinds of exciting experiences. Icy fingers up and down their spines, but they, they lack real depth and power against temptation because they don't have the strong foundation in the word. So Jesus now returned in the power of the Spirit. So filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, now empowered by the Spirit. And again, as our example, we should be filled, we should be led, and we should be empowered. And Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the fame went out through all the region round about. Now, Josephus tells us that at this time there were 204 cities in the Galilee region with a population of 20,000 or more, which means that there were close to 3 million people living in the Galilee region where Jesus was ministering at this time, coming to the area of the Galilee. And his fame went throughout all the region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Jesus was going around to the synagogues. Now, in every city where there were 10 Jewish families, they had a synagogue. 10 Jewish families or more, they would build a synagogue. And so Jesus would go to the synagogues, in order to teach. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He came back to his hometown. And as his custom was, notice that, as, Je as Jesus grew up in Nazareth, he no doubt attended synagogue 
every Saturday, as his custom was. He, it was just his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And when the time came for the reading of the scriptures, he stood up to read, and so they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. And when he had opened the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now notice, he was filled with the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit, he was empowered by the Spirit, and so as he begins to read Isaiah, he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. David and I were talking on the cruise concerning the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the Word. And how important it is to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the word, but how difficult it is to describe what it is. But I'll tell you what, you sure know when it isn't. <laughs> I mean, to try to preach without the anointing of the Spirit is laborious. I, there have been times when I thought, you know, I would be better off and the people would be better off if I would just close the book and go home and say, you're all dismissed. Go read your Bibles or do something spiritual. <laughs> because there's no anointing and it's just, it's push. It's hard. There's, the, your, your mind isn't in gear right and, and it just seems like you're almost a mental spastic and, you know, it just isn't happening. And it's in jerks, and it's just, it, it, it doesn't flow. But oh, I'll tell you, when it's flowing, it's glorious. It just is it, wonderful when there is that anointing of the Spirit in the preaching of the Word. And, and there's then power, there's dynamic, there's, there's life-changing force that is going forth. I can't imagine trying to minister without the empowering and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can't imagine trying to do it. I feel sorry for those men who deny the power of the Spirit and are doing it all in the ability and the energy of, of the flesh. As I said earlier, the perspires. Men who are depending upon the perspiration. <laughs> they even you know, have handkerchiefs sometimes, you know, wipe off the perspiration, you know. <laughs> and I mean, you don't have inspiration, it takes perspiration to, to really do it. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, or the scroll, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down, and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, 
when you read and he closed the scroll and sat down, you think, well, he's through. No, when he sits down is the sign that he is going to begin to teach. Uh, in, in those days, the teacher sat and the pupils stood. And uh, it kept them from going to sleep uh, in the class. <laughs> and so his sitting down was an indication that he was going to begin to teach. And that's why all of the eyes were fastened on him. Now, as we read the prophecy in Isaiah, the same place where he was reading, chapter 61, we find that he closed the scroll without reading the whole paragraph. It was as though he stopped in the middle of the paragraph. He stopped at the place of to declare the day of the vengeance of our God and all because in his first coming, he came to offer himself to them as their Messiah, as the one who would heal, mend the brokenhearted, open the eyes of the blind. When he comes again, it will be to reign, but it will also be in judgment first, and the judgment will precede his reign. That will be the day of the vengeance of our God and, and the rest of the prophecy there in Isaiah. But here he stopped at what would be his ministry in his first coming. Now, later on when John the Baptist was placed in prison and Jesus was not fulfilling John's ideas concerning the Messiah and the common Jewish thought concerning the Messiah. Jesus was not overthrowing the Roman government. He wasn't creating a revolution. And John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask the question, are you the one we are looking for or shall we start looking for someone else? More or less saying, let's get the show on the road. Let's get the revolution going. Let's, let's get the kingdom set up. And, and Jesus did not directly answer the disciples of John, but in that same hour he healed many that came to him. He opened the eyes of the blind and, and did a lot of miracles. And he said, go back and just tell John what you have seen. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, and to the poor, the gospel is being preached. In other words, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, the things that the Messiah would do when the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, anointing him to preach the gospel to the poor and the opening of the eyes of the blind and so forth. So Jesus closed the book. The eyes were all fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I mean, that is a claim to the people in his hometown, I am the Messiah. This scripture today is being fulfilled. And, and it's a very strong claim right at the onset of the ministry of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, the claim that he was the Messiah.
and declaring to them, this day is this scripture being fulfilled in your ears. And all of them bear witness and wondered at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So the first response was that of wonderment and awe because we know him. Isn't this Joseph's son? These, these wonderful things. Isn't this Joseph's son? But their awe and wonder soon changed because Jesus went on to say to them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. For whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Now, we read that the fame of Jesus was spreading all over. Throughout the region, they heard about what Jesus was doing. When he returned to his hometown, they said, well, you know, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, we know him here. But they had heard of what had happened in Capernaum. They had heard of the miracles that he was doing there. And, and so Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. And, and now here's where he's going to really upset them because uh, the Jews were very nationalistic. Uh, they, they still are to the present time. They talk against anti-Semitism, but there's just so much uh, racial prejudice among the Jews for any other race. In fact, it, in, these, in, in the days of the Bible, the Jews thought that the Gentiles were only created by God as fodder for hell. They thought that a, a Gentile could not be saved. And, and, and today they, they still maintain that strong nationalistic kind of spirit and all. Um, heard of a Jewish boy who recently called his mother and says, Mother, I've found the girl of my dreams. We're engaged. We're going to get married. And, and the mother says, well, what's her name, son? And she said, well, it's Ruby Jones. She said, Jones, a Protestant name. Son, you can't marry a Protestant. You're a Jew. You've got to break that off. So a few weeks later, he called and says, Mom, I, I found the girl. I'm going to get married. And the mother said, well, what's her name, son? And she, he said, well, Mom, it's, it's McCartney. Irish Catholic, son, you can't marry a Catholic. You know, you're a Jew. So just a few days later, he said, Mom, I've, I've found her. I mean, this is it. We're getting married right away. What's her name, son? Goldberg. Oh, fine, son, that's fine. What's her first name? Whoopi. <laughs> but there is a <laughs> anti-Gentile bias. And so Jesus said, I tell you a truth. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. 
when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But unto none of them, that is the many widows in Israel, was Elijah sent, but to Sarepta, a city of Sidon, a Gentile city, unto a woman that was a widow. So Elijah was sent to this widow in Sidon, not to a Jewish widow, though there were many in, Jeru in Israel during the time of Elijah's days when there was that great drought. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And all of they in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath. He is suggesting that God favored the Gentiles over the Jews. The healing of Naaman. The provisions for a Gentile widow in the days of Elijah. And they were angered. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him unto the brow of the hill whereupon their city was built. That they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now, there is outside of, of the city of Nazareth a, a, a very steep cliff. They, the, they call it the precipice and an extremely steep cliff. And no doubt the place where they led Jesus uh, to throw him over this cliff. But he obviously and evidently just sort of disappeared, passed through them, and... Uh, and uh, thus escaped their wrath and their anger. Guides are interesting breed. Uh, Jewish guides are an they, they You know, a guide is supposed to know all the answers. And um, you ask them a question and they'll give you an answer whether they know it or not. Uh, because as a guide, you're supposed to know the answers. Um, in the early years of my ministry, I felt that, well, I'm a minister, I should know all the answers, and I would try to answer people questions I didn't know the answers to. Uh, it's great after you get enough years of ministry behind you uh, and enough experience that when people ask you the questions you don't know the answer, you can just be honest and say, well, I don't know the answer to that. I love it. It's a lot easier than trying to invent answers. <laughs> but this one guide that we had, when we were going to Nazareth, he, he wanted to show us the hill that, you know, they were going to push Jesus over the cliff. And, and, he, and he couldn't remember what it was called. And, and so, you know, they call it the, the, uh, uh, the hill there of... Um, well, I said it earlier and I forgot it, but anyhow. Uh, <laughs> he, he called it the, 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 the hill of jumpification. <laughs> Rather than the precipice, that's the hill of the jumpification. <laughs> that sort of sounds biblical anyhow. <laughs> so he left Nazareth on a bad note 
And he came down to Capernaum, where, of course, he spent the most of, of, of the time of his ministry was in and around Capernaum. It was sort of his Galilee headquarters, so to speak. It was a city of Galilee, and he taught them on the Sabbath days. Again, going into the synagogue on the Sabbath days and teaching them. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Uh, the teachers usually would say, now Rabbi says this, and it is said by others, and, and, and they would never speak with authority. They'd only be quoting what others had said. But Jesus said, I say unto you. He spoke with authority, and that amazed him. No one taught like that. No one dared to speak with authority, but, but they were amazed at the teaching of Jesus because he taught with authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man that had a spirit of an unclean devil. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. You see, Satan recognized, the devils recognized who Jesus was. This unclean devil in this man cried out, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But notice he was crying, let us alone. Oh, that is a cry of hell. Let us alone. How many people, when you go to witness to them, say, let us alone. I don't want to hear it. Let us alone. I thought it was quite significant that Sunday when the gay community came down to demonstrate here at the church. Their cry was, let us alone. Hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Satan is still crying, let us alone. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What kind of word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. You see, they had all kinds of exorcisms and all kinds of rituals for exorcisms. Uh, and they would go through all of these incantations and, and these, these dances and beating drums and holding rings under their noses. And, and they had all kinds of exorcism rituals. And, and he just commands them and they come out. What, what, what kind of word and power is this? You know, he's not going through a lot of uh, ritualistic kind of things, but he's just speaking the word of power. And there's obedience. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. The news was spreading concerning Jesus. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. 
Uh, here, Luke is describing this in a couple of medical terms in the Greek language. Uh, this uh, great fever is describing a special kind of a fever, and he is using medical terms for it. And and they and it was Peter's mother-in-law, and they were begging Jesus to help her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. The power of Jesus in healing, the power of the Spirit is upon him. The anointing of the Spirit. Now when the sun was set, all of they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And so after the sun was setting, multitudes brought the sick to him and, and he had time for everyone. He laid his hands on all of them and healed them. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, would not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Messiah. Now, he didn't want Satan advertising him. You remember Paul when he was on his missionary journey? How this woman began to follow Paul and cry out, these are the servants of the Most High God who tell us the ways of God in truth. And, and after several days, this woman falling, Paul turned and rebuked the devil and commanded it to come out. And the devil came out. And of course, this gal had been used as a fortune teller. And uh, they became, those who had control of her were angry because she had lost her divining powers when Paul delivered her from this demonic spirit. But he didn't want the devil doing the advertising for him. And so Jesus would not allow them. He did not want a premature attempt of the people to set him up. They were ready to rebel against Rome. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for someone to deliver them from the powers of Rome. And he did not want a premature attempt of the people to rebel against the Roman authority. He came to redeem the world, but not as they thought. To redeem it by giving his life. He will come again to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. But... This coming was to give himself, and thus he would not allow the demons to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. And when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted area, and the people sought him, and they came unto him, and they stayed him that he would not depart from them. They were begging Jesus to come on back, stay here. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. 
and he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. And so the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus around the Galilee area, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, he began his ministry. Now, let me suggest that if Jesus ministered through the power and the anointing of the Spirit, being the Son of God, depended upon the Holy Spirit for the power and the anointing for ministry. Who in the world do we think that we are that we could successfully minister apart from the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to have any kind of an effective ministry? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to stand against temptation and to be effective in our ministry. Let us wait upon God. Let us seek the Lord. Let us ask the Lord that we might receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our lives to make us more effective in our witness for Jesus Christ. For he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Jesus has begun his public ministry. He has gone through the cities of Galilee preaching, teaching, and healing the sick. His reputation is growing. It is difficult for Jesus to go anywhere without being thronged by multitudes of people, many of them coming to hear the word, but more of them coming in order that they might receive healing or help. And so Luke opens the fifth chapter with this incident where it came to pass that as the people were pressing upon him. Hard to imagine what it must have been like trying to move through a village when word goes out and the people come and they begin to try and get as close to you as they can, pushing, shoving, thronging about him. And such was the case with Jesus. People wanting to get near, wanting to touch. And they were pressing upon him to hear the word of God. And he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or what we know as the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, another time when Jesus was there at the Sea of Galilee, these same fishermen were mending their nets. When Jesus called them to leave their nets and to follow him. This particular incident should not be confused with the incidents that are recorded by Matthew and Mark. 
For there Jesus was calling them to follow him, which I believe they did. But now they've sort of gone back to the fishing again. And they are this time cleaning their nets. When they are casting their nets into the sea, you pick up all kinds of um, the grasses and so forth that grow there in the sea. So it's necessary to, to clean your nets uh, from the debris that is picked up when they're tossed out. And they're there washing their nets. And Jesus entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And he asked him if he would just thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So because the people were pressing on him so heavily, it made a convenient pulpit. It gave a little space between the people and Jesus. It gave him an opportunity to address them without just being crowded and pushed. And so he sat there in Peter's ship and he taught the people that were there on the shoreline. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft, for a big catch, for a haul. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and we have taken nothing. In other words, Lord, it's useless. There, there are no fish there today. It's just useless, Lord. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. But in accommodating, he said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, no, Lord, I'm not doing this because I think we're going to get anything. But just at your word, just to make you feel good, uh, I'll let it down, you know. I'll toss it out. It was an act of obedience on the part of Peter. Reluctant obedience, but obedience. As far as P Peter's experience and understanding, it was going to be fruitless. But to his amazement, when he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and the net began to break. So they signaled to their partners, which were, on the, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both of the ships so that they began to sink. And as the ships began to sink, it began to sink into Peter's mind what was going on. As he realized that this is not normal. Uh, this is a miracle. This man who had done so many miracles, this man who had healed his mother-in-law of the great fever, also had power over the natural world as would be demonstrated even later when Jesus on this same sea rebuked the winds and the waves.
And so Peter now began to realize that Jesus was not just a mortal man, but that he was more than just a man. Indeed, perhaps even the Messiah. And with the recognition of Jesus, as he saw Jesus in truth, he saw himself in truth. One of the most important things is that we do get a true vision of Jesus or a true view of Jesus because you'll never have a true view of yourself until you see yourself in his light. Walking in the darkness of this world, we are so often deceived. We are prone to think of ourselves more highly than we should. We're prone to be very forgiving of our weaknesses and our sins. And we fail to see the truth about ourselves until we see ourselves in his light. And seeing ourselves in his light always brings conviction. The acknowledgement of sin and the confession of sin. Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter acknowledging his sin, recognizing that he has really no place around Jesus because of his sin. For he was astonished, and all those that were with him, at the draft of fish which they had taken. So also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And so as Simon said, depart from me, Luke puts this little insertion, gives you a little bit of information, but then we come back to the conversation between Peter and Jesus, and there was no break there. Peter is saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus said, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. It's sort of the second call to Peter. Now the first call was when he was mending his nets there at the Sea of Galilee. Here is the second call. Now we know that there was a third call. I mean, fishing had a real hold on Peter. It was his livelihood. It was his chosen profession. I believe he thoroughly enjoyed it. And when a man's work is his pleasure, he's a happy man. When you enjoy your work, it ensures real happiness and success. And I believe that Peter really enjoyed fishing. It was just a part of his blood. And we remember that after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he told the disciples that he would meet them in Galilee. And so they went up to Galilee to meet him at the specified place. And when Jesus didn't show up immediately, it was Peter who said to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. It was sort of, again, well, 
You know, I guess this is all over. Going back. This is where I made my living. This is how I made my living. This is how I know to make a living. I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. And again, they had a very similar experience in that they fished all night and caught nothing. You remember the story. In the morning, Jesus was standing on the shore. They didn't recognize him. And he called out over the water, did you catch anything? And they said, nah. He said, well, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And they cast their nets on the other side, and immediately they were filled with great fish, so much so they couldn't even pull it into the ship. And when John saw they couldn't pull it in, because of the multitude of fish, he said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter grabbed his coat and dove in and swam to shore, and the other disciples came in a little boat pulling the net with him. When they got on the shore, they found Jesus there, and he had fixed them some fish, their broiled fish on the fire. He said, come and eat. And then he turned to Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? The third call, again at the Sea of Galilee, and it again involved fishing and empty nets and full nets. And this was the final After this, Peter didn't go back to the old life anymore. This was it. It was the commitment. And so Jesus said, from now on, you're going to catch men. And the book of Acts records how successful Peter was in catching men. And so when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They had servants, and they left the ships with their servants, and they followed Jesus. So it came to pass, when Jesus was in a certain city, there was a man full of leprosy. Now, Luke, being a physician, is using, again, a medical term And it's a term that refers to an advanced state of leprosy. It wasn't just the beginning. It wasn't just a blotch on his skin. But there was a very advanced state of leprosy. Who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and begged him, saying, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Now, under the law, it was unlawful to touch a leper. Mosaic law. And some wonder why Jesus would violate the Mosaic law. My personal opinion is that he didn't. I believe that the action was simultaneous. That as the man said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And I think the minute Jesus said, I will, he was cleansed of his leprosy. By the time Jesus touched him, he was no longer a leper. I see it as just a combined action. 
And by the time Jesus touched him, the leprosy had already departed. And he charged him to tell no man, but just go and show himself to the priest and offer for your cleansing according to uh, the commandment of Moses for a testimony to them. Let it be a witness to the priest. Just go and show yourself and, and do that which was commanded by Moses. Now back in Leviticus chapter uh, 13 and 14, we have the Mosaic law concerning the leper. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Jesus healing a leper. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Luke 4 through 5 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that you have made available for your children. That we, through the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, can proclaim the good tidings to the poor. Father, we pray that we might see a greater moving of your Spirit in our hearts and in our lives that we might live after the Spirit and walk after the Spirit and be led by the Spirit and be anointed with the Spirit, that we might be more effective in our ministry for you. In Jesus' name, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues even to the present day to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts. We were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on.
To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.